All right, we are going to finish up Habakkuk tonight. And those of you that may not have been with the series, we're kind of jumping into deep water here. But I'm anxious to get to the last four verses of uh, Habakkuk chapter 3. It's a little tiny book toward the end of the Old Testament. Uh, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. So it's almost at the end of the Old Testament. Habakkuk chapter 3. And without getting all these things we covered, simply Habakkuk is a prophet who is greatly, has been greatly concerned about the people of Judah and their sinful life. God has said he's going to send the judgment, and of all the things, he's going to send the Babylonians, this very wicked nation, to punish his people. And Habakkuk is just really puzzled by this and is very, very disturbed and concerned about it. But he waits for the Lord. He, uh, the Lord reveals truth to him of what's going to happen, that the Babylonians themselves are going to be eventually punished. And then this third chapter is a prayer song that Habakkuk, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote. And uh, we looked at down through verse 7 last time, and without spending time to go over that, I want to jump right in at verse 8 and briefly look at verses 8 through 15, and then spend the rest of the time focusing on those last wonderful four verses of Habakkuk. Um, I'm going to read verses 8 through 15, and I want you to keep some things in mind. This is poetry, all right? So it's not just straight narrative, and so it's a little uh, wonder about this. What does it mean? It's hard to go into all the meaning of all these things, but uh, we need to keep in mind there's allusion to the uh, Exodus, to the parting of the Red Sea, and later even to the parting of the Jordan River when they came into the, the Promised Land. Um, there's a reference to your anointed. You'll notice that down there in my in verse 13, salvation of your anointed. Moses was one of the Lord's chosen anointed ones, as it were. David certainly was. And, uh, of course, mainly the anointed Christ who was to, was to come. Um, there's a verse in, uh, in 2 Kings 19.35 about the, the defeat of Sennacherib, who was the king of Assyria. Now, this was 125 years before Habakkuk's time. And uh, there's a verse here that says, And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. One of the more graphic descriptions and actions of God in punishing uh, a pagan people. And I... I happened to run across this excerpt from Lord Byron's classic poem, The Destruction of Sennacherib. And it really ties in with what's happening here in these verses before us. For the angel of death spread his wings on the blast and breathed in the face of the foe as he passed. And the eyes of the sleepers waxed deadly and chill and their hearts but once heaved and forever grew still. Very somber words about God's destruction, the judgment upon the Assyrians. Well, now, 125 or so years later, the Lord's raising up the Babylonians to come. So you have reference to that kind of thing here. Um, remember, the Old Testament is not just about ideas. It's about God's acts uh, over and over again in the Psalms and even in the New Testament. Reference to what, see what God has done. God has taken a, a very much active role in history. And that's our subtitle for this book, Habakkuk, God in History. And so those are some things to keep in mind. Also, the reference to uh, 
the sun and the moon standing still in chapter 3, verse 11, an allusion, I think, to Joshua chapter 10 and what happened there. So with those thoughts in mind, just try to capture the idea here of what these Babylonians are going to do and also the fact that they are also facing judgment themselves. And God is in charge. God's the great divine warrior. Uh, this is not happening apart from his sovereign work. Verse 8. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. If we just somehow was able to picture that graphically, of all these images happening of a God of history in charge, knowing what's happening, bringing judgment where it's due, but all the while aware of his people. Habakkuk, the Babylonians are going to be punished but I have not forgotten the promises to my people. So take courage with that. There's a lot more that could be said about that, but I want to move into the last four verses of Habakkuk. And I do so with an interesting introduction about Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin was not really what we would say a born-again Christian. He was a deist, and he had some strange views, but he admired the Bible, and he quoted the Bible a lot. And he was over in Paris on a, a, for a position there, a responsibility to represent America. And he was talking about the Bible, and he was being mocked for that. They were mocking him there for this, all about the Bible. How can anybody believe that kind of stuff? So he thought, I'm going to try to teach these guys a lesson. So he wrote down Habakkuk 3, verses 16 through uh, 19. And he came before them, and he said, I ran across an ancient manuscript... And I'd like to share these words with you. I think you'll, you'll be impressed with them. So he read the last four verses of Habakkuk. And the response was, wow, that, that's beautiful. That, that's, that's wonderful. Uh, who, who wrote that? What's that about? And Franklin replied, that happens to be the last four verses of the prophecy of Daniel, of, of uh, Habakkuk, which is in the Bible. It's part of the Bible. And they were stunned that anything that beautiful could, could be in the book of, called the, the Bible. So these are the verses we want to look at here as we close our study of Habakkuk. And um, I had to use your imagination this morning when I read that opening part about what it would be like if we were cut down to over a billion people in underdeveloped countries, all the things we would have to give up. I want you to use your imagination again tonight. And uh, you go home, you turn on the television and you can't believe your eyes, you found that the, the Chinese 
have landed a surprise army down the Columbia River. They've already blown up the, the two bridges that connect Oregon and Washington. You can't believe you're looking at television as you see the destruction of, of Portland going on. And then you get word uh, that a lot of the army is moving down Interstate 5, and they're headed for, for uh, Salem, and they're headed for Crevallis, and they're headed for Eugene. And you begin to hear the bombs going, and you see the result of the bombing, and so on. And you get word that they're taking no, no prisoners. They're just slaughtering people right and left. They're going right into homes and so on. Now, I could picture that picture more for you, but you get the idea. Uh, that's, that would be a, a terrible We haven't even faced that at all. What a horrible situation that was. That would be. That's what Habakkuk was facing. Habakkuk was aware of what was even then going on as the Babylonians were coming down. So look at how he starts verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Here is a man who overwhelmed the emotion of the moment as he envisions the coming disasters, perhaps even aware of some of the things the Babylonians already had done. He's also aware that his nation of Judah, they're going about their merry way. They don't seem to be concerned about anything, despite the warnings that have been given by Habakkuk and others that the Babylonians are on their way. He does not expect to be spared in any way. In fact, it's only speculation. It could be Habakkuk himself was killed at some point during the Babylonian invasion, which took several years to, to accomplish. Either that or taken captive. He might have been one of the captives taken back to Babylon. But we don't know that for sure. But that's how close he was to the situation. He probably had heard about from scout patrols. Not only the, uh, the Jewish uh, scouts who were out there looking and finding out what was going on, but they ran across Babylonian scouts who were coming down and getting closer and closer to Jerusalem and to the area of, of Judea. He uh, would be aware of the movement of troops, and the report came back. You know, the Babylonians, they have this many men, this many horses, they're on cal- they're the cavalry troops, something kind of new in that uh, day and age. Um, Perhaps he could see dust in the, in the background with the horses on the ground, their hooves breaking up the, the dirt on the ground there. Uh, maybe from time to time he could hear loud shouts of the enemy, he could hear some noises as the Babylonians were getting ever and ever closer to where they were. So he is stirred in the depths of his soul, shaking like a leaf here. Uh, my body trembles, my lips quiver. Uh, my legs are trembling beneath me. He is a one scared guy. We said, well, he, wasn't he a prophet of, of the Lord? Well, he was. He was a very godly man. But uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that he wasn't a scared man and a terrified man. It doesn't mean he had no faith. It just means that he was human. Psalm 103, verse 14. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. The Lord knows our weakness, and he doesn't hold that against us in itself, as long as we profess our trust in him. But even in the midst of his discomfort, look at how verse 16 ends. Despite the fact I'm shaking, I'm scared to death, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. 
He's going to wait for God to act in his time and history. He knows his people deserve God's judgment, but he is going to, to wait here patiently. Now, it's an historic fact that after the people of Judah were taken captive to Babylon for 70 years, when they did return, there was a revival of sorts. And God's promised covenant that the Christ would come through the tribe of uh, Judah indeed was carried on. Now we come to verse 17, and Habakkuk now is getting his act together a little better. In verse 16, I'm scared to death here. This is terrible what's going to happen. Yet I've learned to wait patiently for God and his time to to do what he's going to do here. We deserve it. So, Lord, I'm, I'm ready to trust in you. And so he's, that's good for him. He's waiting quietly for this day of trouble to come upon them. But then he notice, we notice in verse 17, the anxiety of verse 16 is swept aside by a joyful and overpowering confidence in the Lord. Surely he knows that what's going to happen is going to be a time of famine. Invasion produces desolation. He can envision that happening. So he's thinking to himself ahead, what it's going to be like. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fall, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. And I want to stop right there. Okay? He's saying... What, what if the fig trees, what, what if they don't bud? What if the vines produce no grapes? The olive crop fails. The fields produce no food. No sheep in the fold, no cattle in their stalls. Remember, this was a largely agricultural society. I mean, that was the heart of their life. That was their livelihood, for the most part, agriculture, things growing. And with the Babylonians coming in and destroying everything and knocking the vines down and trees and whatever... It would be catastrophe. Let's make it practical for us today. Will you and I be able to say in a circumstance like that, though the fruit and vegetables disappear from the bins in the market, and the canned goods disappear from the shelves, and the steaks no more are for sale, there's little gas in the pumps, and our power is reduced, and our homes get colder. That's the situation. How does Habakkuk respond to that thought? Verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. I've got to learn to keep my eye of faith upon Him and in my heart know that in the long run it's all going to work out. I have to have that confidence there. A former Southern evangelist once said, A person's faith in the Lord is not real unless he can stick his head into an empty flower barrel and sing the doxology. The difficulty we have trying to identify with this is we're not at that point. We're far from it. We live in comfortable America. We have our armed forces. We have our police forces, the sheriff's department and all that. We're pretty, feel pretty safe, reasonably comfortable. It hasn't happened yet. And 
Perhaps in our lifetime it will not happen, but who knows what's out there in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, what might happen in our own, own country. So Habakkuk embraced all the calamities he could imagine. Nevertheless, he triumphs over them in the knowledge and love of his Savior. For God is not just a creator, God's sovereign Lord, but he is his Savior. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And Habakkuk's salvation had to be in trusting the Christ who was to come. We think of Jesus himself, the one who was born in our midst, became flesh. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our frailties. He knows the kinds of fears we have. He knows what's going on, doesn't he? Yet his faith and joy in his Father sustained our Lord, going all the way to the cross for us. The last verse, verse 19. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. If you've ever seen a deer running along, they kind of bounce. They're very light, like that. Habakkuk, in his heart and soul, says, you know, I, I'm like that. Despite what's coming, my trust in the Lord, I'm like a deer. and I, I'm able to go to the high places where many do not go and become drawn closer to the Lord who created those high places. So that's the, his wonderful faith that he's expressing here uh, in this passage. I was reminded as I put this together of the last verses of Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40, verses 28 through 31. Let me read those to you. They who wait for the Lord... Let me back up to verse 18. Have you not known... Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not go faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So we have the imagery of the deer going up to high places in Habakkuk. We have the imagery of the eagle mounting up with his wings there. So I think both Isaiah's passage and Habakkuk kind of tie in, I think, with one another. So what we see here, then, as we come to the end of Habakkuk, in fact, through the whole book, we see God in history. As we look at the events that are going on in our world, and every day we open the newspaper up or turn the news on, the television, so, what's, what's happening? What's happening in our country? What's happening going on over the Middle East? What's going to happen in Syria? What's China doing? Russia? What's going on in South America, etc.? You know, we can become very um, concerned and very almost terrified in a way. What's, what's going on here? What's happening? This is terrible. But we have to remember God is still in control. We've seen in this book his past activity, what he's done in the time of Habakkuk and the Babylonians coming in. We are aware of his present activity. He has present power with his people, with the church. The church continues to grow. God continues to draw, draw his people into the fellowship of, of the saints. And we have every confidence in his future activity, or we should have, his continued faithfulness and promise to those who, who trust him.
So as you think about what Habakkuk faced, what we might face, and in a sense we kind of face anyway, not Babylonian armies literally, but certain think forces, circumstances coming into our lives that give us cause for concern. God is sovereign. God is in control. Nothing happens apart from his control. We don't know why he allows certain things to happen, but he does for his own glory, ultimately. And when we get to our heavenly reward, these things will begin to make more and more sense. And we'll see, we'll say, oh, that's why the Lord did that. Sometimes we can see that. Just, I don't have this in my notes, but as a side. Um, there have been th- over my ministry, I had eight uh, pastorates before I retired, and uh, three of them were pretty miserable. I won't go into the details, but uh, I just wasn't all that happy in those situations. And so I, I continued to pray to the Lord, Lord, this is where you put me here, so I'm going to do my best while I'm here, but uh, it should be nice to get out of here <laughs> sometime. And in all three instances, I wound up in, in a wonderful, wonderful situations. Church situations. And I can see why the Lord put me in those bad situations for a number of reasons. I said, okay, now I see, now I see why you brought me there. Okay, I, I'm glad I'm now here, but I see why. And sometimes we can understand, now I know why God brought that into my life. Now I think I'm beginning to understand it. However, there are also are times when I don't know what God's doing here. What's the Lord trying to teach me here? I don't, I don't get it. But we still must keep our trust in the Lord. Now, we're going to close in just a moment by singing a hymn. And I want you to turn to that number right now. don't know how many are familiar with it. It's number 621. I want to say a little bit about it and about the man who wrote these words. 621 is the, is the uh, number. The title, somewhat, uh, sometimes, A Light surprises. Go down to the lower left-hand corner. It looks like his name is Cowper, but it's actually pronounced Cooper. William Cooper. And William Cooper and Habakkuk have a lot of things in common. They both were very troubled souls. Someone has called this hymn, The Treasure Gift of a Troubled Soul. The fact that William Cooper was a troubled man turns out to be to our benefit as we're able to read and sing his words even this very night. He was an English poet who personally knew and suffered from acute mental distress and illness. Most of his life, Cooper was in a very dark depression. At age 31, three times he contemplated and attempted suicide. After the third time, he was put into an insane asylum where, amazingly, the Lord worked in his heart. I don't know all the circumstances, but he was converted. Came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. In the days that followed, he continued to wrestle with mental problems and depression. But he began to write poems and hymns. This is one of them. You recognize some of these others. There is a fountain filled with blood. That's from William Cooper. Oh, for a closer walk with God. William Cooper. God moves in the mysterious ways his wonders to perform. Come thou fount of every blessing. 
And in verse 3, you might remember these words. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's a man so troubled that even after he was converted, he still found himself prone to depression, prone to leaving the Lord, turning away from it. But God graciously always brought him back. Jesse Johnson of the Emmanuel Bible Church in Springfield, Virginia, wrote, William Cooper constantly fought to keep his spiritual head above the waters of destructive depression. And then um, I read that soon after his death, someone who saw him, saw him lying in, uh, he's dead, I don't know what the circumstances were, but he looked at his face. And he gave this testimony. With the composure and calmness of his face, there mingled, as it were, a holy surprise as he entered glory. And so we think of these two men. Habakkuk the prophet, William Cooper. Both troubled souls for different reasons. And yet their trust was maintained in the Lord. And God used them in wonderful ways. As we sing this beautiful song, especially notice verse 4. It's based on Habakkuk 3, verses 16 through 19. The last verses of the book. They are both for different men, different situations, but both remind us that it's only by the grace of the gospel that such needs could be met. Cooper struggling with depression. Habakkuk facing the Babylonian army coming in. And yet through it all, uh, the Lord's there to, to surprise them with a, a light of insight, a light of encouragement for them. Um, one more thing, then we'll sing it. In verse 4, the first line, though vine nor fig tree, neither their wanted, it's not wanted, wanted fruit shall bear. That means usual ordinary, neither their normal fruit or their usual fruit. That's the idea of it there. I wanted to explain that word to you before. Let me play it through for you one time, then I'll have you stand and we'll sing these four verses, and then I'll close in prayer and we'll be dismissed. 621. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for these beautiful words that you enabled William Cooper to write so many years ago. It reminds us of your faithfulness, it reminds us of the fact we live in a world of uh, question marks, a world of unexpected circumstances, but we know you are in charge and that you are with us and you care for your people. So as we leave here tonight, we pray, O oh Lord, that we might go forth this week with uh, faith and trust in you and whatever comes our ways. May we remember the testimony of Habakkuk who waited upon you and learn to trust in you in all the circumstances of his life. We ask you to dismiss us with your blessing upon us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.